Thanks for listening to this sermon recording from Liberty Family Church in Hillsville, Victoria, Australia. All of our sermons are available for free online, and we encourage you to subscribe to our sermon podcast through iTunes or by clicking the button on our website. If you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, or would like more information about our church, head to www.libertyfamilychurch.net.au. God bless you, and we pray that this sermon recording encourages you and strengthens your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we open up the Word of God this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name for your glory. And I pray, Lord, that you speak to each one of us today through your word, through the words that I speak. May they be your words. May they be anointed by your Holy Spirit so that each person draws something from this message today that inspires, enables, equips and grows each person to go forth in the calling that you have for each one of us. Lord, I pray for ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing in this world today. And Lord, I pray for great fruit to come for your kingdom's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Question for you. What would you do if you found out you had 12 months to live? What about six months or even one month? How would your behaviour change? Or would you keep going about life just as you are now? Would you do anything different? Some people do experience this challenge. You might remember guys in Bali, uh, Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran, if I get the pronunciation correct, who were executed in Bali in 2015. Can you believe it? Five years ago already for their drug-related crimes. They knew their time was very limited and once that final plea for clemency was rejected, they had a very specific date and time when they knew they were going to die. Across the world, there are many people sitting on death row knowing that in all likelihood their time on earth is very limited. There are also those who receive a diagnosis from their doctor who tells them their illness is incurable and untreatable and in response they ask the obvious question and are told the statistics indicate that they may only have X number of months to live. What does that do to priorities in your life? I've recently enjoyed reading Neil Danaher's autobiography, When All Is Said and Done. It's his life story, growing up on a farm in Hungary, New South Wales, with his ten siblings, read that, ten siblings, three brothers and seven sisters. What a lucky fella. (laughs) It covers his football career at Essendon, which was cruelly cut short due to injury. And he then moved into various coaching roles 
and ended up being senior coach at Melbourne for 10 years. And as is the way with many, if not most, senior coaches, he was eventually sacked. But then only a couple of years later, in 2013, he was diagnosed with motor neurone disease, where, the doctor told him, the average life expectancy from diagnosis was 27 months. Two and a half years. I think he's done pretty well. He's exceeded the average. After dealing with the shock and grief, Neil had to decide how he was going to spend whatever time he had remaining. And as many of us would know, he decided to devote himself and his precious time to raising awareness of and funding for research into finding a cure for MND. Neil decided what was really important in his life. What about you? You are most likely not facing such a limited future as Neil, yet the fact is none of us know how much time we have left on this planet. And I can say that from personal experience because when I had my heart attack four and a half years ago, I had no inkling, no inkling, when I got up that morning that it was quite possibly going to be my last day in this life. If not for the skill of the ambulance workers and the fantastic team at Box Hill Hospital, it was my last day in this life. We just don't know what may happen to any of us. What is really important in your life? Perhaps to help you ponder that question, consider what you might choose out of these options. Would you like a million dollars, cash in hand? Or how about a bank account that can never be emptied? Yeah, next slide, thanks, Pete. What about miraculous restoration of your full health today? Or yourself, your family and friends to be healthy and vibrant and to never experience ill health again? What about reconciliation of every relationship in your life today? Or for every relationship in your life to be fulfilling and free from any discord ever. Now, hopefully the pattern that I'm describing with these options is fairly clear. To put it mathematically, my background is mathematic. Hey, Doc? Uh, that's it. Doc's a maths lecturer. To put it mathematically, I'm comparing something finite with something infinite. All of these are desirable outcomes, yet would you choose the finite or the infinite? So consider once more what is really important in your life. Are you focused on the finite or the infinite? Now, achieving financial security, good health, healthy relationships are worthwhile goals, and please hear me, I do encourage you to pursue those to the best of your ability. However... Hear this, even if you end up as wealthy as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett and you remain fit and healthy 
until you suddenly drop dead at 120, surrounded by your family and friends. So what if you then go to hell for eternity? So what? Comparing this life to eternity is comparing the finite with the infinite. In the Bible, James helps to put it in perspective. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Because we're in the midst of this life, it can all too easily seem as this is all there is. Well, I beg to differ. That's a bit like saying to the fish in the fish tank that that is all there is for the fish who is completely unaware of the ocean outside the tank. As we consider what is really important, I encourage you to look outside the fish tank and see the ocean that is our eternal destiny beyond this life. From my perspective, it is a no-brainer. Comparing worthwhile pursuits in this life, and they're worthwhile pursuits, against where I will be spending eternity leads me to what I believe is most important in my life. I have reached the conclusion that what is most important to me is to be as sure as I can be where I will be spending eternity. While still pursuing those worthwhile earthly goals of healthy finances, physical, mental and emotional health, and as well as strong, healthy relationships, my most important goal is living a life in honour of God. By placing my faith in Jesus, in who he said he is, and in what he has done to redeem me from sin and death, I have absolutely no doubt my eternal future is assured. That is my number one priority. More important than my health, my family, or my finances, where I spend eternity outweighs any other consideration, simply because eternity is infinite. Our life on earth is a mere blip on the radar, or as James says, a mist that appears briefly and is gone. But that's me. What is really important in your life? How do you consider the tangible and worthwhile benefits uh, of, of pursuits in this life against the intangible and perhaps ethereal pursuit of eternity with God? Not surprisingly... Jesus knew this was a question that would be in the mind of many people of all generations across all time. So in his extraordinary Sermon on the Mount, and I wonder, Joel, are we going to finish that series off? Next stage coming up at some stage? Good stuff.
In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed that very question in this way. In Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Jesus speaking, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to this life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God knows our needs as well as our desires. He fully acknowledges them. But Jesus is saying here to keep it all in perspective. As it says in verses 32 to 33, for the pagans, that is the world, everyone, runs after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is telling us here to, first of all, as a higher priority than anything else, seek after the kingdom of God. And then the pursuit of those earthly needs is done with the grace and the assurance of God. The Apostle Paul understood this. In his letter to the Philippian church, which he wrote from prison in Rome, he tells us what is really important to him, even as he was sitting on death row. Philippians chapter 3, starting verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you sense the urgency in that writing, in that passage? The sense of urgency that Paul was clearly experiencing. The sense of resolute determination to pursue his number one priority, irrespective irrespective of what it may and did cost him in his life, knowing that his eternal future with Christ was assured. Paul knew what was really important to him and he pursued it to the end of his earthly life. Have you decided? Or do you know what is really important in your life? Are you pursuing it? with the same dogged determination that Paul described. If you agree with Paul that seeking after the kingdom of God, as suggested by Jesus, is what is most important in your life, what does that mean to those around you? I'm well aware... It's taken me a while to get to these points. But if you hear nothing else, please listen to these questions now, these three questions. How does your priority of living for Christ impact on your relationships? Secondly, If this is such an important issue for you to resolve and get right, is it not also just as important for every person who lives on planet Earth to reach that same conclusion? Yet, how can they reach that conclusion unless they hear the gospel? As Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is where we all have a role to play because this is just so important. So important. You can't make a decision until you know your options. Because I believe eternity is as real as we are here today. That belief is based on what the Bible clearly states. I believe the Bible to be true and it is the foundation of my worldview. That worldview was confirmed when I had my heart attack, when I know I was in a really good place before I was resuscitated. I know that. With that in mind, it is worth considering what the Bible says about the eternal destinations that await all people at the end of their life on earth. And I couldn't resist it, I drew a chart. Uh, You knew it was coming, didn't you? You knew it was coming. 
Newsflash. Everyone is going to die. Ooh. Don't talk about that, Tim. I want to hear happy stuff. The reality is everyone is going to die. And what happens then? What happens then? The Book of Life contains the names of all who have placed their faith in Jesus and acknowledged him as their Lord and Saviour. If that is you, your eternal future is assured in the new heaven and earth as described in Revelations 21. Heaven awaits. For those whose name does not appear in the Book of Life, if they have not acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Revelation 20 describes their fate, which is to be cast with Satan into the lake of fire for eternity. That's it. Two options. The Bible describes only two options that exist. It does not propose reincarnation, purgatory, or any other option the human mind can construct. Heaven or hell awaits us all. And, can I add, I don't believe the human mind can conceive, appreciate how good heaven is. Nor do I believe the human mind has the capacity to conceive or appreciate how dreadful hell is. It really is a choice of two monumental extremes. There will always be the what-ifs. There will always be the what-ifs. What about this set of circumstances? How could they have known? Etc, etc. And I fully acknowledge all those difficulties with those situations, which is one reason why I'm glad God is God and I'm not. What I do know, and please hear this, what I do know is that I can know my eternal destiny for sure and not rely on a hoped-for scenario that might somehow enable me to squeeze into heaven. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I believe eternity is just too important to take that chance. With that in mind, I come back to the questions I posed earlier. How does your priority of living for Christ impact on your relationships? And by the way, I'm actually preaching to myself here and you guys just happen to be listening in. Your loved ones, your friends, your family, your colleagues, your teammates, your classmates, whoever, people you interact with. Don't they also need to realise what is actually really important in their lives and how to be assured that their eternal future is with Christ? I don't believe in scaring people into making a decision for Jesus. I don't actually believe it's effective. 
But I also don't believe we can dance around what the Bible clearly tells us are the only options for our eternity. Heaven or hell. I do think sometimes it may require the bluntness of that comparison to cause some to genuinely stop and consider their position. Now, I know it is, I know it is hard to raise these matters with those who are close to us. Yet, are they not the very ones who we really need to try to reach? What is more loving of you? To say nothing, to keep your relationships safe and secure and potentially let them literally go to hell. Move on. Peter, next slide. Or is it actually more loving to risk offending them and potentially damaging your relationship, yet possibly helping them to receive salvation in Christ and an eternity with him? I'll, just, I'll run through those again because I know I was a bit slow getting the slide up. What is more loving of you to do? To say nothing? To keep that relationship safe and secure? And potentially let them literally go to hell? Or is it actually more loving of you to risk offending them and potentially damaging your relationship, yet possibly helping them to receive salvation in Christ and therefore an eternity with him. As before, compare the finite with the infinite. Clearly the potential eternal consequences vastly outweigh the potential earthly consequences. To my mind, it's a little bit like comparing a huge carrot and a stick with a crumb and a feather. Surely the incentive is to take the risk and share your faith. Now, how you do that, that's up to you. That's up to you. That's why we as a church are trying to upskill with the Mike Smith Every Believer Can uh, training course, with the Alpha program that's coming up, and with this sermon series. Whatever way you go about it, I recommend you, indeed I urge you, I plead with you, always keep in mind what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Always, always in love. Love must be at the core of all we do. It must be our motivation and it must be evident in every interaction, particularly as we raise these issues. As we live our lives pursuing Christ and sharing our faith with those around us, then we are truly living out what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, which we read in Matthew 22, verse 37. 
Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Loving God comes first. Out of that relationship, we are then able to love others fully, even to the point of going there and talking to them about Jesus. After all, don't you think that is what is really important in this life? Before I pray and close, can I ask the question? If you were to die tonight, do you know where you're going? I don't know everybody's situation here. Do you know your eternal future? If you do, if you do know Jesus, if you've submitted to him, great. If you don't, are you taking a risk? Is the risk worth it? It would be a delight and an honour to pray with you to assure your eternal future. And that applies today and every other day. Joel agrees. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth and you are love. Lord, I pray that you help us, that you equip us as we take these steps of faith to share your word, to share the truth of you with those around us. Help us, Lord, equip us, enable us, inspire us to pursue you with a passion and to bring those around us along with us. Lord, we thank you and we honour you and we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.